Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. podcast episode 162 dexter henry brian fonseca here in the new year 2021 first episode of the new year happy new year b how you doing man doing all right i did the 12 grapes thing at midnight so you know i was trying to you heard you i told you about this you know about this oh i have no idea what you're talking about this is a thing people do that at midnight you uh you have your 12 wishes ready to go like you can write them down, whatever if you want to remember, and you know you just eat twelve grapes as quick as quickly as you can right after midnight. After you know you do your hugs and kisses or whatever the fuck, you have sixty seconds. Is, I guess it's the rule, but you can't finish twelve grapes, especially the ones we had that were big as fuck in that little bit amount of time. So basically, what you got to do is finish the grapes, and you know each grape is a wish and then that's your wish for things to accomplish in that year of 2021 will it work will it not i don't know um i did it last year you know covid kind of messed with the list a little bit so whatever but the year before eight out of 12 last year six out of 12 so we're at least in the in the positives as far as that we're getting to the playoffs but you know hopefully this year we get all 12 done but a little a little over 50 percent. my question is why is it grapes why can't it be like I don't know, eating 12 dumplings or something. I, I, w- I wouldn't want to eat 12 dumplings at midnight. I'd rather eat 12 grapes. I feel, at noon, I'll eat 12 dumplings. <laughs> you know what well, I'm saying? I had a lot of dumplings before midnight on New Year's Eve, but that's a whole other story. Um, we, had, we had this really, so we had this rotisserie chicken maker, right? So, like, of you just you, put it in. Of course it does you did. Shit. Yeah, 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 you already know. We put <laughs> that shit. Oh, that shit comes out so good. I feel like I'm eating at Incas almost. You know yeah, I, mean? I knew. See, I knew it was going to be tied to Incas. Incas is a <laughs> Incas is a spot around Brian's way that Brian put me on to. That, that for the first time, people, I went to to eat with Brian uh, there. What, what was that? That was last year. That was last August. August of 2019. Yeah. We, yeah. we went there, and it's a good spot. I, and... And luckily, they're still in business because, I mean, they're right across the street from Wyckoff Hospital. So, I mean, hey. Like, yeah, yeah. They got to go lunch, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, I, I like, actually stopped there during the pandemic, and I was glad to see they were still open. I think that was back in August of this year. I stopped after getting a haircut because now I get my haircut sort of near there. And, yeah, I was glad to see they were still in business. That's some good t- oh. tasting chicken. If you are around the Bushwick uh, Ridgewood area, Check yep. out Incas. This is not a sponsor, Incas, but if you want to sponsor us, <laughs> let, let us know. Let, let and, us know. And, and before we get on to our first topic, because this I mean, we obviously, you know, if you're watching the podcast, we have MF Doom backgrounds. We're going to talk more about MF Doom and his legacy later on. He did pass away this past week, but we're going to have fun this episode as well. Uh, I'm even going to have some fun 
uh, talking about his legacy and such. But uh, I also want to say a condolences and RIP to the McDonald's uh, that used to be across uh, uh, West 4th, the cage. Yeah. The McDonald's right there by the theater. Apparently that closed up. And I'm hoping that they don't try to squeeze in a little condo there and charge, you know, <laughs> $5,000 for one bedroom or some shit like Yo, that that's, for like 30 square feet. But that's, that's the New York way. That's, that's a. That's one of the wilder McDonald's that I've been to. I got a couple stories from there, but another time. <laughs> a lot of cra- a lot of people have seen a lot of crazy things happen to McDonald's. I can I can definitely attest to that. Definitely attest Word. to that. All right, we're gonna start a new year, new style, new things. This is what you always hear at the top of the year. And before last year ended, and everybody talked about how they wanted twenty twenty to end, I had to end something. What I decided to end was my fandom with the New York Jets. Many people have seen me tweet about this, post this on Facebook. And Brian had already been in the zone. So Brian's been, how long have you been, uh, how long have you removed yourself from the fandom of the New York Jets? I've been sober, sober for between five and six years. All right. I, I don't remember with the exact point. I want to say it was the 2015 season because I was like, I wanted to develop a quarterback in Geno Smith. And then hothead IKN and Polly punched him in the face. So then Ryan Fitzpatrick balled out that season. And I was like, I'm done with this shit. So it was somewhere around that point. So, yeah. And then Geno Smith tore his ACL in 2016. Ryan Fitzpatrick was further cemented in the starting role. And then he became Ryan Fitzpatrick that year. They went 4-12. and <laughs> And the rest is history. Yeah, so Brian decided to leave that. And Brian has kind of been encouraging me to take that path. To take the path to freedom. And I, for some reason, I cannot explain why. Maybe I I decided to hold on to that. And some of that comes because of things I think that we're raised and taught to think about in terms of sports fandom. You got to be loyal. You got to stick with your team. You got to do all these things. And it's like, nah, fuck that. You don't got to do this. You don't have to do this anymore. Now, Brian had his last straw with the Jets. For me, what this came down to was the Jets just can't win. And even when they need to lose, they can't win. That's what it came down for me. Here's a year. The Jets are 0-11, 0-12, 12, I believe they were at this time. And they win a game. They win a game. And then they no longer have the best odds to draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or get the franchise quarterback that this team so desperately needs. As Brian said, Brian, which you have to see that was probably better and smarter than me, decided at a much younger point in his life and time spent rooting for the Jets that he had enough of this shit. And I decided to spend, at the time when I ended this relationship, 30 years, 30 years of rooting for this (laughs) franchise that didn't love me back. Now, I want to address some stuff because when I announced this, I got a lot of responses from people, especially on Facebook. Some people saying, you dicks, how could you do this? You can't leave the team. First of all, stop. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I don't want to be with the team. I don't have to root for the team at all anymore. You can stop anytime you want to, just like Brian did. I don't have to subjugate myself to the horrible outputs of this team. Brian talked about the fact how he was hoping they would develop a franchise quarterback. And you know what I've been waiting for for 30 years? A franchise quarterback. I haven't seen <laughs> one at all whatsoever. How is it that your team has existed for 30 years 
And you haven't seen one quarterback that you're like, man, get me to the promised land. You know who the Jets' quarter, best quarterback in my lifetime is? Tell the people, Brian, who the Jets' best quarterback I've seen in my lifetime is. The same one as mine, Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington. And that's the no best gr- we've ever had. Best we've ever had. No disrespect to Chad Pennington. We like Chad Pennington. Solid quarterback. Got us to an AFC Championship game. I was at that AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh. More, more in Pittsburgh later. Was he, was he a top 10 quarterback in the league when he was with the Jets? No. Okay. Maybe. This is all right there. Maybe, maybe in 02 or something like maybe that. In maybe in 02 he was right at 10, but no. Yeah. Chad Pennington couldn't really throw the deep ball, didn't have a strong arm, very accurate quarterback, pretty Why good in the trade him every year in Madden and NFL 2K. Pretty good in the West Coast West Coast offense. And if you were playing Madden, one of the things you probably realized was it was a good thing to trade him because there was a high likelihood that he was gonna get hurt, which was actually pretty accurate in real life. So yeah, that's the best I have seen as a 37-year-old man, and Brian has seen at his age. That's not good. Why are, we, why are we doing this? And then when the team needed to lose so they get the number one pick, they couldn't do that. And what did they do? They don't win one. They win two games in a row. And that's what I said. I'm done. I'm done. I haven't been watching too much of the NFL. Didn't care too much about the NFL in the last couple of years. I check in every now and then this season to kind of see what's going on. But I said, you know what? I'm going to attach my fandom to, to another team. I'm not a bandwagon jumper by any means. But I want to attach myself to a team that might love me back. The Jets haven't loved me. Have the Jets got taken me to a Super Bowl? No. They haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1969. Now, some of you out there may say, hey, Dexter, you're a Mets fan. And you're also a Jets. Excuse me, you're also a Knicks fan. Which means you know about some pain. That's true. But at least the Mets and the Knicks. I've seen the Mets go to two World Series. I've seen the Knicks go to two NBA Finals. I've seen Hall of Fame level players play on that team at a high level that could be considered franchise players. Can't say the same about that with the Jets, other than the great Curtis Martin out of University of Pittsburgh and the great Darrell Rivas also at the University of Pittsburgh. Hasn't been that much for me in terms of franchise players for me to go. So you got that Pittsburgh connection. I'm a Pitt alum. I used to live in Pittsburgh for a little bit. And uh, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and root for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know why? Pittsburgh Steelers are a competent organization. They know what they're doing. They run things well. They have continuity. They give themselves a shot every year. They seem to draft well. They have good football people. You know, the Jets don't have none of that. So I'm done. I'm out. I'm finished. And you know what happened, Brian? I have to tell you about this. The night I announced this, I had someone who was a Jets fan call me. They're like, "Did did I see correctly what you... Posted on Facebook, and I'm like, yeah. And a they're phone like, call? yeah, this was, there was a phone call for this. There was a phone <laughs> call for this. And this person was trying to convince me not to go. And what I love. Yo, we're talking about sports teams. <laughs> Wait, what? He gave you a call to plead with you not to go because, like, it's not like you're out here signing fucking contracts or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, not, but here's. I think people, people need to treat this more like what it is it's like i mean you're a fan of some shit but you can you can let go you know what i mean like you don't have to just stick through it or whatever if you're a fan of an artist and they do some fuck shit are you just gonna stand by them if it's like really really bad well, I mean, you know what i mean I and mean, if it's i mean, I mean the, an- the answer to that is yes cause people have done that with people like r kelly people have done this so kanye was yeah people have yeah people do it every day 
Which is, I mean, I guess more benign than R. Kelly, obviously, because, you know, he didn't commit a crime necessarily, although apparently he's not paying his uh, choir for whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, but like, yeah, I think like, like with me, the way I looked at it, I was like, yo, what, like, I don't get anything from rooting for this fucking team. I don't. Like, (laughs) even in my lifetime, it's like they made it to the AFC Championship game in 1998. I was four. I don't really remember. I remember playing as Vinatesta Verde in the video games when I was really young and hated it. I used to start so I used to start Ray Lucas. You know what I mean? Like it was. Hey. Um, and then in '02, that was a good year. They got to like the second round. I think one of those years was when they blew out the, the Chargers or some shit. You know, there was a couple playoff runs in the 2000s, but nothing crazy. Stupid ass me got the Brett Favre jersey when I was 14. You know what I mean? Like, just aged terribly. Um, it was a good first 11 weeks, and then pff, after that. And then the the two AFC Championship games, <laughs> they literally haven't been to the playoffs since those AFC Championship games. Right. Like they, they've been close in 15, but it's literally been 10 years or about 10 years or going on 10. Yeah, going no, on, going 10. on 10 years. 10, because it was 2011 playoffs. For the 2010 season, yep. because we're on hard knocks that year, yep. and that was the year. And then the year after that was when we were all like, "All right, like now they're gonna get to the Super Bowl," and they fell flat on their face, went eight and eight, and we know what happened after that. So, and shout out to the homie Janae Coakley. I told you this year was gonna be bad, and it's so bad that I said, "Peace, we're done, we're done here." And you're because right. You know what it is? I think you would stick with it because here's the thing: the Knicks. There's you can see. Finally, the pathway to like the light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel, the post Porzingis era, where it's like, oh shit, Ju- Julius Randle all of a sudden looks like a, a competent, not a competent NBA player. Never mind that, he looks like a borderline All Star candidate. Now it's very early, but at the same time, what we have to realize about Julius Randle, and I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later, is that he's like 25, 26 years old, still entering his prime, and he has two years left on that deal. You have R.J. Barrett, you have Tom Thibodeau, who's there, like the perfect coach. There seems like a plan. There seems to be like a plan, and the right adults are in place. That's what it seems. And with like. the Mets, and with the Mets, is self-explanatory. You got. Hitters all over the place, finally. You got new CEO who's willing to spend money. We'll see where that goes. You still have pitching. Like, there's just... And there's a historical, like, uh, reference for the Mets actually, you know, having a little bit of success lately. Okay, now sell me on what the plan is for the Jets. Go ahead. Do it. That's the best thing. Do it. I, I can't. Like, once, for me, I think I did it at the perfect time. Once Geno Smith was... Uh, once his chances of being the starting quarterback were pretty much over with because in 2016 he did he there was a there was a chance maybe but then Ryan Fitzpatrick had that good first season so we didn't really know and then he tore his ACL and that was pretty much done with that because he was on an expiring contract so the 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 hope became Sam Darnold when they drafted him in 2017 18 whatever year that was right there was that year of Bryce Petty. I don't think anyone really believed in Bryce Petty like that. If you did, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. The window was the Sam Darnold window. If if people don't get out now, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, here's You're not getting Trevor Lawrence. Maybe you get Justin Fields, but at the same time, it's like it's the Jets. It doesn't fucking matter. And that's been the whole point of all this. How many quarterbacks have they drafted and just ran through? in the first couple of rounds over however many years, whatever the case may be. Like, your best three quarterbacks ever are, like, Chad Pennington, Joe Namath, and Ken O'Brien. Ken not, O'Brien's a top three Jets quarterback? That's not good. That doesn't say a good thing. Look, one thing, before, as you wrap up, 
what I learned from when that person called me and was telling me about that and sort of trying to get me not to stay, I think what I learned was the fact that, you know what, for the people that are Jets fans that are staying in this, you like misery. And what I realized about myself, especially with everything that went on last year, no, nah, I'm not here for the misery. That doesn't mean that I expect my team to win all the time or expect for the team to give me joy all the time. There's going to be ups and downs with any team, just like there are ups and downs in life. But I don't feel like dealing with the incompetence anymore. That's it. I'm done. I'm, a I'm out. Hello, Steelers Nation. Give me a terrible towel. I'll be rooting for you guys. That's, that's what it's going to be. And by the way, with the Steelers, you have uh, a, black time, a black head coach who appears to have a lifetime contract there, Mike Tomlin. Uh, and you're not a Ben Roethlisberger guy, but he's on his way out. Any year could be his last year. He probably has one more after this year, if that. You know what I mean? Two at most, I would say. So, you know, there's a pathway to some, some good things there. Yeah, so I, I, I admire your choice. I think I'll be a lot happier uh, in terms of that. If I had to pick another football team, I don't know who I would choose, actually. I have I, no idea. I don't know who fits you, and you're like, I, I mean, I don't know. not the Giants. I don't know. I don't know about it no, with you. absolutely not. Not with, no. not, not with you. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, that's probably why, probably why I don't really have one right now. I mean, yeah, no, nah, I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Whatever. 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 It, choose your happiness. That's what you should do in the news year. Choose your happiness. And what I learned well, is... My, my the, team might be the Baltimore Ravens, actually. I could, I, You know what? I could see that I, as a team if for I you. Had to, if I had to think of one, if I had to really pick one, like under my head, Baltimore Ravens would probably You be should it. be a Ravens fan. Then we could have a little rivalry, a little Steelers-Ravens <laughs> rivalry. That would be hilarious. That would be great. <laughs> that would be absolutely great. Right, but see, choose happiness in 2021. That's what you should be doing. Hey everybody, Brian Fonseca here to tell you about the multi-time award-winning series Out Now that is Side Hustle, which is created, executive produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brian Fonseca. Side Hustle is a sit-down interview series that taps into sacrifice, the odd avenues taken to progress closer to your ultimate dreams, and some jokes as well. Because you know, we always gotta find it funny, and we always gotta find time to laugh. Side Hustle has been named to the best TV and web series category at several different film festivals, including the 2020 International New York Film Festival, the New York Movie Awards, and a host of others. Be sure to watch season one in full right now on either BrianFonseca.net or YouTube.com slash BrianFonseca. Brian with a Y, remember. All eight episodes, trailers, teasers, and promo are free to watch, and the series as a whole is approximately two hours long. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a side hustle. Be sure to watch Season 1, out now. The hip-hop world was saddened by some news uh, early, uh, late last year, I should say, into the new year, right into the new year. Uh, found out that rapper MF Doom passed away, and he had passed away back in October, October thirty first on Halloween. A little ironic that the rapper who wore the mask yeah. passed away on Halloween. Um, this is a rapper who really dominated the underground scene, really beloved by many people. I first found out about MF Doom while watching the Boondocks. Um, an episode called Let's Nab Oprah, in which you uh, hear all caps from my favorite Doom songs playing in the background. Mad Lib on the beat. Just great beat. Just dope. Like, Mad Lib's a legend. Legend. Just, just makes you feel good. 
Yeah. Um, I found out about the death of Doom via our former producer of this podcast, Matthew Feniza, who's a Doom fan. He texted me and hit me up about it. I had I did not see it on Twitter at the time. Uh, I then reached out to a friend of mine who I know was a big Doom fan, um, and I knew it was going to touch him uh, really in a different way. And I know it has touched him the last couple of days. I spoke with him about it. Uh, Brian, I, we, everybody obviously shocked by this through the year, what's happened, all the people we've lost through the year. This happened a couple months ago. Obviously, his wife just speaking out about it now. Do not know the cause of death. There's speculation whether it could have been COVID. You know, anytime somebody, you know, loses somebody, it's obviously always tough. If you have, you understand. Can you just talk a little bit about the impact of Doom? What, yeah. you know, how you got into him as a rapper, you know, as a fan of hip hop and, and around him and everything. Obviously, he touched a lot of artists. We saw so much artists, producers post about him and everything over the last couple of days. You know, what, what, what do you think about the impact Doom left on the game? You know, a couple of people that have that were among those who had their messages and said things and posted about Doom were Static Selector and Sky Zoo, who we've had on this podcast. And that's sort of the cloth that MF Doom came from, that underground, uh, like really high bar lyrically, like everything that he was doing. There are elements of what you hear today, right? Like, I talked about this EP that I heard last year that I really like, one of my favorites called Unlocked with Denzel Curry and Kenny Beats. And what a lot of it is, is kind of like what MF Doom was doing in the mid-2000s and otherwise, where, you know, it would be like just a beat. He'll come on, rap about whatever for like two minutes, and there's your song. You know what I mean? No hook, no nothing. Like, that's kind of the structure of it. And it's something that MF Doom, I I don't know who originated this. But he's the first person that I remember uh, sort of doing that. Like, I remember hearing Mad Villainy and Danger Doom and Mm Food uh, in the mid-2000s around the time when they came out because I was 10, 11 years old. And then I remember them being repurposed in different ways. You would see them come up on the, like, the early days of YouTube. You would see them come up on, like, video games. NBA 2K9, uh, MF Doom had a song in that game. I think it was Sofa King, actually. And that was uh, because of, you know, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force stuff. stuff. He was doing mm-hmm. stuff with Adult Swim. Right. And, you know, Adult Swim was kind of like the naughty channel for, like, teenagers at the time. So we would stay up late and try to watch some of that shit. So <laughs> it kind of crossed over. Um, and you could see why people like Tyler, the Creator, and Earl Sweatshirt and people like that were big fans of his. You know what I mean? And he spoke to a lot of people. There's a lot of people who you'll find that MF Doom is in their top 5, 10, 1 of favorite artists ever. Um, I think that if you're, you know, people were doing top 50s and top 100s at various points of last year and the year before, I think MF Doom is somebody whose name you're going to see a lot of on that list. And in terms of impact, I mean, on underground hip hop, he's one of the first guys that I think about. We both love underground hip hop. He's unquestionably like one of the first guys that I think about in terms of just underground hip hop, period. When you say that phrase, when you say that term, and then just as a rapper, like, obviously Mad Villainy, like, a lot of people herald it as one of the quintessential hip-hop albums of the 2000s. Mm, Food is actually my favorite MF Doom album that came out the same year. I think that MF Doom obviously, uh, also has a strong case for rap MVP of the year 2004. That's another discussion for another day. But for me, like, I listened to him a lot in high school, but I smiled a lot, like, listening to MF Doom. He mm. just fucking made me laugh. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, he just had a lot of lines that just made me laugh. And I was just going through a lot of the songs because I've been listening to a lot of Doom back because I haven't listened to a lot of Doom in a while. And uh, the stuff that he was putting out, I wasn't following as much in recent years or whatever, unfortunately. But I went back over the last few days and listened to Vomit Spit again and again and some other songs. And he just has some funny-ass fucking lines. Like, I don't even know how to say it. Like, on Vomit Spit, he has this one part. He says, rake it, take it like the good, the bad, the ugly. Break it rolling through your hood in the caddy buggy. (laughs) (laughs) Butter softly, leather flossy, fatty juggy. Always threw me off when she told me, Daddy, funk me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just his delivery was just fucking hilarious. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the beats were dope. I mean, shout out to fucking Mad Lib and all the other producers you work with. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's like you know what's about to happen. Always keep an eye out like I, I, Captain. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a, a ball I like for real, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. all over the place. He had an uncanny delivery for sure. There's no doubt about that. It was is, is extremely unique. Style is definitely unique. I mean, I think that's what always makes some of the best underground guys throughout history that we've seen. Uh, the guys who kind of really ushered in now. And even back in the 90s in the underground sound of early days of Sound Bomb and Lyricist Lounge and that kind of stuff, whether it was guys like Tyler Quali or Most Def, uh, continuing with Doom. They kind of really always have a unique style of delivery that connects with people in a variety of different ways. So, yeah, you know, you definitely saw the outpouring of love from the hip hop community. You talked about Sky, you talked about Static uh, and what they had to say. I saw Joey Badass obviously uh, tweeted about him, used a lot of rapped over songs that he did, different beats. Um, You know, Pro Era did something over the Whole Cakes beat, which is a great beat and great sample. Um, of That's one of my favorite Anita songs Baker. too. Yeah, one of my favorites, if not my favorite. So, yeah, man, you know, salute to Doom, rest in peace to Doom. Uh, it's always sad when we have to do that. We lost a lot of great ones in 2020, but you know, peace to his family and uh, the hip hop community stay strong. And I'm sure if there's some unreleased music, we'll probably hear some stuff probably soon coming forth. You know, in the next year or years to come. That's always yeah. interesting in how they'll tribute him, but. Yeah, tribute. You see, if you're watching this podcast, you see both of us. We got uh, doom images behind us. So, yeah. you know, rest in peace to the the man in the mask for sure. And you know, I know that's a bunch of snow. You know, what? he's probably. I was really thinking about it. Like, he's probably the most creative lyricist, like, or one of the most creative lyricists that I've ever heard. Like, just the shit he says, shit that comes out of his mouth. It's just like, like, where does it come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, now, in terms of just being out of left field. The beat is so butter. Peep the slow cutter as he uttered the calm flow. Don't talk about my mom's, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so, it's the, it, but see, what makes it was the delivery and the monotone voice with it. That's what really, that's what makes it more hilarious to me in terms of doing when you think about lyrics. But yeah. Once you gotta it, hear, and, and you mentioned most deaf, and we'll end this part of the podcast here. You gotta, you gotta watch, everyone listens to this. You gotta watch this video of most deaf. Uh, just like just fanning over MF Doom, I guess. Like he's rapping some of the bars and stuff like that. Um, I forget which song, but it's one of Doom's best songs. I don't know if it was, was it all caps and me. It wasn't me grinder, but uh, it was oh, it was beef rap. He was rapping bars from beef rap. Mm-hmm. It was fucking hilarious. In that video, he also says that he would take MF Doom over Little Wayne. He'll put a million dollars on that. I would also. 
but yeah. <laughs> I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked that I'm not shocked that you said that at all. But yeah, once again, rest in peace, MF Doom. Uh, peace to his family. Rest in peace. Your impact on hip hop will not be forgotten for sure. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. NBA season is underway. Uh, we've had some discussion about this recently. I don't like to get crazy about early season trends because it's very small sample size theater. At this point in this podcast, most teams will have played about six to seven games. When you listen to this, there's been some good things. There's been some bad things. There might be some alarming things. But I really think you got to put it all in perspective. You kind of have to wait till you get to about – 20 to 25 games in this season to really start to see what some of the trends are. One of the things we've seen is we've seen a good amount of blowouts. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you maybe don't, the, the crowd not being there. I don't think we saw this as much in the bubble. I think a lot of players were juiced. I wouldn't also read too much into that because I think intensity will pick up as we get further down the season and closer to the playoffs. But I do think that when you're getting blown out in these much quieter arenas and you don't have fans, to sort of charge you up to get you back. I do think that's a factor. I definitely do think that's a factor here. Look, at the time recording this podcast, the Knicks are at 500. I, as a Knicks fan, will say that I am not getting crazy excited about this. However, I do like what I'm seeing in effort, especially on the defensive end. I do like what I'm seeing from Tom Thibodeau. I do like seeing how he's holding these guys accountable. You mentioned Julius Randle earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, RJ yep. Barrett up and down, but seems to be coming along and still showing confidence. There's clearly uh, accountability and work ethic that I see in this team that I have not seen in about three years. It's good. It's encouraging. I think Knicks fans should be encouraged. I don't think they should be jumping over the moon, going crazy. I just think they should say, hey, this looks like the start of building something good here. They're going to muck it up in a lot of games. They're going to make things tough for people. They're going to compete. That's a good start towards building a foundation. That's one of the things I'm encouraged by. Luka Doncic has struggled with his shot early on this season. That's something to keep an eye on. Again, I think it's small sample size theater. It's only five to six games. Uh, people were lauding some teams, Brian, that got off to great early starts. The Cleveland Cavaliers, which your Sexland backcourt, which is a dope oh, name. Oh, Sexland is a dope name. It's the greatest nickname for a backcourt ever is Sexland. Is it? Is it, is it the greatest? Is it really better than the Splash Brothers? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I like the Sex Splash Land Brothers. is in their name. Sexland is in their name. Like that's great. Would you rather go to uh, a theme park called Sexland or the Splash Brothers? I mean, I feel like they both could be a uh, kind of ingr- okay. adjacent. Sure. <laughs> they could be adjacent. <laughs> Why not? I feel like I feel that's, like both would be next to each other. That's the part I have to clip. That's <laughs> the part I have to clip. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see why both could not work together. I don't see why. 
Let me make a note of that. But, I don't um, see why. I, look, your boy Chris Paul evidently impactful in Phoenix. Yeah, so man. Yeah. He's not scoring the way he, he was before, but he doesn't need to, clearly. No. Uh, DeAndre Ayton hasn't even scored the way I think he's going to at diff- different points of the season. He had 22-11 and 11 last game uh, or a couple games ago from when you're listening to this podcast. But, like, I'm encouraged with some of the things I've seen going along. I'm glad that COVID is somewhat mitigated. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, we've already had some things, but players are testing negative, and the league seems to have it mostly under control. I mean, relative to, you know, their contemporaries that we've seen, but... I'm not freaking out about anybody or I'm not like too high on anybody. I do think that when it comes to like Toronto, for example, they're one in five and at the time of recording this, mm-hmm. that's not something that's totally shocking to me. I also don't think that's something that like, I think that might hold is what I'm saying. Like, what? I think that. I'm gonna throw, I want to throw another team at you with in that vein. What about Denver? They're also off to a slow start. No, I haven't looked so good. I think Denver's going to pick it up. I th- I do think that Denver like will, will probably take more of a step back than I thought. But mm. when it comes to like when it comes to uh just 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 what I've seen from Toronto so far, I think people overrated Pascal Siakam in a way that I think people overrated Chris Asporzingis. That's not to say that they're not very good players or whatever the case. I just think that Pascal should be a number two on a good team, which I think is kind of proven with what happened with Kawhi Leonard and that team. And he was number two there, but they also had Lowry and Van Vliet. So he might've not been a two. He might've been a three. And then Van Vliet was four. And then Kyle Lowry was two, whatever. The point is, I don't think Pascal Siakam is the one of. You think he, you think he was miscast. Yeah, I don't think he's the one of a top-flight playoff team. Just like I don't think Chris Porzingis is the one on the top-flight playoff team. I think his role with Luka Doncic, now he hasn't played yet. I think when he comes in and fits into that role, it's going to be pretty seamless, and they're going to develop some good chemistry. No, he showed it. Whether. Well, to be fair to, to, be fair to uh, Porzingis, he showed it last year, and he showed it in the first couple yeah. games of the playoffs. He's playing great as a number two, but, to your point. Right. No, no, I, I, I'm, I don't disagree with that. He was playing great as a number two. Show- yeah, and it's more to say that he like it, that like that's where he should be, and I think Siakam like that's where he should be. I don't know if that's mm. going to lead them to try to be the sneaky James Harden team. That's something that I've kind of thought about, like whether or not the the Raptors are the team to sort of try to get in on those sweepstakes because we we figure Harden has to get moved at some point, and I think that's the big domino we're all waiting to fall. Yep. But otherwise, I mean, look, the Heat haven't gotten off to a great start. You're Miami Heat. They've had a couple of bad offensive games. I think they're going to figure it out. I think that they're also going to make a trade for either Kyle Lowry or LaMarcus Aldridge at some point. Um, I think the Knicks look very interesting. And I think that the key to their season, like I said before, is winning games that they're not supposed to. And <laughs> they've already done that twice. And they have the perfect coach to do that. So now it's just a matter of just staying healthy and seeing if they could build and because right, what you want to play for is that 10 spot or seven to 10, but you want to play in that for a spot in that range. If you can get a spot in that range, then I think that's a successful season. Otherwise, you know, bad fantasy season so far. I'll say that much. Oh boy. Cards, any towns already out for me. Aldridge is injured. I'm going to be 0 and 2. I might lose again next week. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to make a trade at some point. Okay. Quite the contrary for me. Really good fantasy season. Uh, looks like I'm going to be 2-0 to start uh, dominating. I liked my draft. I thought I drafted well. I haven't been 0-2 in several years. Yeah, well, there's always a first time for everything, right? There's always a first time. 
Uh, one other team we'll talk about real quick. Yeah, we'll uh, the, soon Anthony Towns. A lot of a lot of uh, people been on the Brooklyn Nets train and how they looked in the in the off in the preseason, excuse me, and then started off this year. But their defense has been up and down. What do you make of them? I mean, they're going to be on House of Highlights every night. Uh, at the time we're recording this, they're losing to the Washington Wizards, um, who they can't seem to stop and mm. have allowed so far 110 points with just a little less than six minutes to go. Now, they may end wow. up winning this game. We'll see what happens. Obviously, we'll know by the time we're recording this. But your boy, who's on your fantasy team, actually a couple of your boys, Russell Westbrook, 29-5. and five. Thomas Bryant, who is a little bit of a Nets killer, 17-10 mm-hmm. and 10 in 22 minutes. For all that shit about Jared Allen being this defensive stopper or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. uh, he's having a good game tonight, 14-11. and 11. Thomas Bryant is still giving it to the Nets. Uh, and part of that is obviously DeAndre Jordan to blame. Part of that is probably Jared Allen. I don't know. I haven't seen the game. But it's more so to highlight that the Nets, for whatever reason, just over the last five years or so, they just have a problem stopping bigs who can score. It has. Bryant yep. is one of those guys. Nikola Vucevic is a net killer. I don't think that's a problem that they've solved. Uh, they probably would do a better job at solving this problem if they actually had the balls to play Jared Allen more and get rid of DeAndre Jordan, but they're not going to do that because he's part of the Kevin Durant fucking blood pact or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I think that like with the Nets, like we'll see what happens. They're going to be very fun offensively. They're going to go on these crazy nights. Karis LeVert's going to be up and down. Unfortunately, they have injury histories on that team. Like We're still waiting to see if Kyrie Irving can make it through healthy. Uh, Kevin Durant's going to have his rest be on and off. Is he going to aggravate that? Achilles injury. Basketball fans hope he doesn't, but that's just something to watch out for as he is getting older as well. And then uh, Karis LeVert, he hasn't really made it through a full season healthy yet. His rookie season, he came through like about two months into the season and he was good through his second year, even though he did miss 10 or 11 games or whatever the case may be, but he still missed a few games that year. And then the third year was when we saw him rising to all-star level, then he broke his leg. And then last year, he obviously got hurt at some point, came back, and was better again. So we just – now they don't have as much depth with our guy, Spencer Dinwiddie, being out for the season. Um, and I just think that the Nets are going to be short of the finals this year, and I've been consistent in that. I think they're going to lose in the second or third round um, because – not just because of defense. I just don't think that – because people are looking at talent. And you know how I think. I think talent doesn't really mean shit if you don't have certain other elements. And I don't know if they have toughness. I don't know if they have uh, a level to get to defensively that can match what Milwaukee could do. Yeah, see, that's that, could do, yeah, see, those, could do. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the key. You know those I mean? are the two keys for me. I'm not sure. I mean, it's still early. This is small sample size theater. I'm not sure about their toughness. I'm not sure about. Been saying. This is yeah, this is consistent. Saying. This is consistent. People are hyped now because, like, you know, people are just grading games minute by fucking minute by fucking minute. Which you can't do. You just, have, you just have to look up 20, 25 games from now. And, and then, and then let's talk. And I think that's a good way to end it. We got to look then. There are questions about every team, uh, for the most part, maybe outside the Lakers. But you kind of really just have to look at this in a 20-game sample, 25, and then come back and let's reassess. But, you know, interesting start to the NBA season. It's interesting with everything that's going on with the scheduling, with fans not being there, et cetera. But, you know, just ain't hard to sell podcast. We love the NBA. We'll have our eye on that. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mind. 
interesting stuff this week. Brian's going to bring up something that we talked about a little bit before regarding uh, Dan Lebetard, iconic radio podcast host, his final show on ESPN. And I have something I came across I thought was an interesting read about how the coronavirus vaccine is being released and maybe it not being released as fast as we thought it would be. Brian, what you got this week for one time for your mind? Uh, typical. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, when, yeah. For this administration, yes. It's, it's, it's for this fucking country, if you really want to get down to it. But yeah, true. Uh, Dan Levitar is going to be short and sweet. I think you know I wrote something that uh, is now up on Deadspin by the time you'll be hearing this, and just sort of about uh, his impact. Uh, I talked a little bit about meeting Dan briefly. Uh, and just that day, you know, Levitard live at Gramercy Theater and how impactful that was as well. Um, it's an event that they did at Gramercy Theater that sold out 500 tickets in 30 seconds. They really underestimated how big their own show was, which is typical of the show if you follow them, which is pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, uh, ESPN, that's a huge loss for them. I'm telling you right now, like to have Levitard go and, you know, we'll see what their plan is. I'm positive that they have one they haven't said what it is whether it's be independent for a while whether it's go somewhere else where they can house a lot of stuff i wouldn't be surprised if i looked up in however many months from now and dan's got his own network funded by himself and maybe there's some sort of paywall or patreon situation or whatever the case may be and he tries to bring in some of the people that he worked with at espn and put on but this is somebody who is responsible for putting on a lot of people uh l duncan uh uh, Bomani Jones, uh, like a lot of people were on highly questionable and a lot of people got their reps, got recognition, got their sort of um, TV time from being on that show, from Dan just kind of approaching them, Sarah Spain, Mina Kimes, Pablo Torre, and having them do so, you know, um, Jamel Hill uh, before mm-hmm. she ended up leaving the company. Like this is a lot of people, this is, there's a lot of people that really fuck with this dude. A lot of people that really fuck with this dude, and that's what it comes down to. And then, you know, to have a Latino voice in sports media where we don't have a lot of that, like, that shit matters a ton. Uh, so that's that's mainly what I wanted to sort of thank him for uh, as far as his ESPN journey goes. And going to be supporting whatever's next because now now is when the shit's about to get good and fun. Like, I'm, like people thought, like, the ESPN shit, like, oh, man, the show's leaving, the show's ending there. Nah, now this shit is going to be lit. Now I don't have to listen to, you know, certain fucking ads that I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just some ads where it's like, 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 it's just shit that I Yo, don't Yo, hold on. We're, we're going we're gonna to have to one day do a segment on the ads you don't want to hear. This is going to be interesting. Uh, we're, that's, we're gonna, let's save that for a segment because I think that could be actually interesting. I'm so intrigued to hear that. <laughs> yeah, so, but to wrap it, you know, this is one of the, like, of my lifetime, this is the, the probably the sports voice that has resonated with me the most. The one who has sort of formed... Uh, in some ways, a lot of the ways that I do things that I'm sure there are other people that can say the same. Um, so it was very important for me to one, meet him, uh, to write that and three, just to sort of say this, um, and you know, obviously good luck to him and Stu Gods, Mike Ryan, Billy Gill, Roy Bellamy, Chris Cody, uh, Tony and all the guys and looking, definitely looking forward to whatever they have going on next. Yeah. Shout out to him and the whole crew. Shout out to Dan and the whole crew. And what they have going on next. Uh, those voices definitely matter. And definitely check out Brian's article on that on Deadspin. Uh, for me this week, on one time for your mind, I want to talk a little bit about COVID 
That's dominated a lot of the topic of 2020, and rightfully it should have, and it's probably still going to dominate a lot of the conversation of 2021. And now the vaccine has been released and being administered to people, and all the conversation now is about this country reaching herd immunity. This is what we want. We want people to be able to go back out, be safe, and feel good, and we can have sporting events with large crowds again, and all that sort of good stuff. But last week on Monday, the last Monday of the year, the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, reported that 2.1 million doses of coronavirus vaccine have been administered within the previous two weeks. So, yeah, that might sound like an impressive number, but in terms of what the current administration had promised, eh, it's not really that impressive of a, a number, right? So if you look at some math around this, and I saw this article that was written in the Washington Post, this was by Leanne Wen. Uh, she talked about the math around this with Anthony Fauci, government's top infectious disease doctor, estimated that 80 to 85 percent of Americans needed to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity, right? And both these uh, vaccines that are out, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they require two ver- doses. So people have to get one shot and then get, go get another shot. Now, some numbers, some math, people. Sorry to put all this math in you, Brian. But 80% of the American population, that's about 264 million people. So to administer, you have to administer 528 million doses to achieve herd immunity. Now, the problem is the rate at which we are giving out the vaccine is not really great at all. And this was crazy to me. Check this out, B. At the current rate, it would take the U.S. approximately 10 years to reach that level of inoculation. Nah. Yeah. Come on. 10 years. <laughs> 10 years, right? Now, earlier in December, the Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar predicted that every American would be able to get the vaccine by the second quarter of 2021. For those who don't know, that would be the end of June. The speed needed to do that. You know how many vac- vaccinations you need to have a day in this country? million a day, right? We're not even close to doing that at the numbers that that I would do that. We're not close to doing this at all, right? And so you need to really speed up and bring up these numbers and, and do this. Even if they get 4 million doses of the vaccine in the first two weeks of this year, 2021, they still, that's still obviously short of what I just said. That's 4 million in two weeks. We need 3.5 million a day, and we're now we're doing this. Now the problem is people can say, "Hey, Dex, this is hard to do. This is hard to uh, get this done." But look, this administration that is on their way out—they promised to accomplish 20 million doses by the end of 2020. That hasn't happened, and you know what's never good? It's never good to overpromise and underdeliver. But that's what they've done right now. A lot of people want the vaccine. But this and the number was also 40 million before that. I'm sorry, I forgot to add that. The number was 40 million by the end of 2020. Then they said 20 million, and they're nowhere even close to that. They're about 1% of that. So there's concern about how quick we're going to get this herd immunity. And will this turn around when uh, Joe Biden's in office in about 17 days? Maybe. So maybe so not. That's, yeah, that, that's really the only point I wanted to make here is that at the time, that this drops. So we're talking about Tuesday, January 5th. This is an episode. That means 15 days left until the inauguration. Yes. Uh, 
symbolically that also means 15 days until hitman three drops you can draw whatever link that you want between those two but i feel like there's some irony in that for some reason um and i just want to say like i think that that's what it comes down to i think there will be an acceleration once there is an official handing over of the keys to the car and we see what happens there i would like to think because obviously one of his whole points, Joe Biden being, is that like we're going to get rid of this and he's going to take the steps needed to do that. Now, I think it's obviously going to take a lot of work and it's not just on him. It's just on like a lot of the, it's on us, really. It's on him. It's on it's on everybody to sort of do their part or as many people as possible to do their part. Now, we need to be able to take those steps. And I think that we're going to do that. Uh, when there's a shift, when there's a, a turnover in the White House, trickling on down to otherwise, and hopefully we can win these uh, Georgia runoffs also. By the well, time you're listening to this podcast, this will be an important day for that as well, because then the Senate will have, there will be some impact, there will be some ripple effects on that election as well, as far as how things go nationally. So we have to watch out for all that. But a- Absolutely. Know. And I, I, to wrap this, I thought in this article, or op-ed column I read, by Leanna Wentz, she brought up that she she didn't just criticize. She said there had to be solutions, which I love. And she was basically saying that there needs to be three things that the federal government needs to do. First, set up a real-time public dashboard to track vaccine distribution, which I thought was really good for the people. Second, yeah. publicize a plan for how vaccination will scale up dramatically. So according yeah. to her, states have already submitted their individual plans to the CDC. But what she's saying that we need to see is a national strategy that sets ambitious but realistic goals right at least let people know what the goals are and how we get this when you set the goals at 40 million and 20 million and then you don't deliver that's not necessarily a good thing and the third thing she said acknowledge the challenges and end the defensiveness the public will understand if initial goals is a quote from her need to be revised but there must be willingness to learn from missteps and immediately course correct i agree with her 100 percent. there has to be clear and full transparency there has to be a plan we haven't seen that so far but like you said b hopefully May 15 days from the time you're hearing this podcast that it was released, there will actually maybe be a plan that is in conjunction with the federal government and the states to getting the vaccines to people as effectively as needed be so you can have a realistic goal of herd immunity possibly sometime in 2021, maybe early 2022, but at least let's know how this can happen and we can see how it can happen and that would be nice. That's it for this episode, the first episode of 2021 for the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Please be sure this year to continue to support us as much as you can. We're going to have a lot of great things to us uh, for us to do uh, through this podcast. Uh, be sure, as I said, check out Brian's article on Dan Lebertard on his impact as a sports voice for not just the Latino community, but all of sports and how important that is. That is up on Deadspin. Be sure to check that out right now. Also, you can check Brian and I out. We've been recently doing a new show on the Props Network. Uh, surrounding some stuff with NBA and betting. It's called NBA Picks and Props. You can check that out as well, too. We'll be doing more with that this year. And we got more great news, a lot more great announcements, a lot more great content to come oh, in yeah. the new year. There's some great stuff that we have coming up to announce. We can't wait to tell you all about that. But we appreciate y'all rocking with us, continue to support us. That is it. Episode number 162, unbelievably already. For the Ain't Hard to Sell podcast. Whole baseball season's worth. Oh, baseball season's worth. That is right. For Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Yeah.